0: Welcome to the first official episode of Coffee and Contraceptive Conversations with me, Madeline Rivera. Today, I want to discuss two court cases in the United States that help us trace the ways access to birth control and abortions have been challenged and changed throughout our history. We're going to talk about influential people involved in these cases, as well as their backstories. The first case that we're going to discuss today is one that, spoiler alert, did not rule in favor of the reproductive rights activist. This trial is the trial of Margaret Sanger versus the state of New York. I decided to include this trial in the episode today, even though the court ruled in favor of the state, because this trial was inarguably a landmark point in the fight for reproductive rights. When discussing reproductive rights, the name Margaret Sanger is almost always brought up. Margaret Sanger was both a nurse and an activist in this movement. It was Margaret Sanger that actually popularized the term birth control. In 1917, Margaret Sanger opened up a clinic completely ran by nurses in New York City. In 1917, contraceptives were only talked about and dispensed by physicians under the law and they were only provided to couples who needed them for health concerns. At this new clinic, though, Margaret Sanger was discussing contraceptives and discussing them with women who were unmarried. At the time, this was a violation of New York State law. And only 10 days after the opening of her clinic, Margaret Sanger was arrested and charged with a crime for providing patients with information about birth control, as she was only a nurse and not a physician. After conducting some research regarding the conviction of Margaret Sanger, I found that many women within the reproductive rights movement actually supported Margaret Sanger and supported her through her legal defense. On the eve of Margaret Sanger's trial, reproductive rights supporters hosted a benefit, which they titled In the Honor of Margaret Sanger. This was hosted at Carnegie Hall on Monday, January 29th, 1917, at 8 p.m., and the admission for this benefit was 25 cents. Now, because of the law at this time, the courts did affirm the conviction of Margaret Sanger. Sanger eventually brought the case to the Supreme Court but it was eventually dismissed. In my opinion, a lot of times when we discuss the reproductive rights movement, we talk about it like it all happened simultaneously or in just a few short years. But the reality of the matter is that the reproductive rights movement was a steady and slow struggle. The next trial that we're going to discuss in correlation to women's reproductive health is one that's been extremely popularized. And happened nearly sixty years after the decision in Sanger versus the people. Now we're going to transition into talking about Roe versus Wade, a case that was brought to the Supreme Court. First in number seventy eighteen, Roe against Wade. Norma Leah Nelson McCorvey, or better known by her alias, Jane Rowe, was the plaintiff in the landmark Supreme Court case Roe versus Wade. Within her affidavit, Norma described why she chose to use an alias. She feared that the notoriety by the lawsuit would make it impossible for her to secure any employment in the near future and would likely limit her advancement in employment. She considered that the decisions of whether to bear a child was a highly personal one and felt that the notoriety of the lawsuit would result in a gross invasion of her personal privacy. I believe that she deserves the respect of being called by her name, while I acknowledge her struggles and empathize with her reasoning for using an alias. Ms. McCorvey's affidavit for the Supreme Court case was taken in 1970. Now, 1970 was only 50 years ago. When we talk about Roe v. Wade, especially in early education, we talk about it like it happened 100 years ago. Norma McCorvey was single and pregnant in 1970. Due to her pregnancy, Norma struggled to get a job. She was barely making ends meet. Norma lived in the state of Texas, and in the 70s, the only way for a Texan woman, especially an unmarried one, to have an abortion would be to travel to another jurisdiction and have an illegal one performed. Now, we just talked about how Norma was struggling to make ends meet. She couldn't afford to travel to another jurisdiction, and even if she could, she was worried about the consequences of having an illegal abortion performed. But to Norma, an abortion was the only option, other than having a child she could not afford and she did not want. Norma's lawsuit was based upon her claim that the law banning abortions in the state of Texas left her no other choice but to bear an unwanted child or to risk her life by submitting to an abortion at the hands of unqualified personnel outside of clinical settings. A person, the woman, entitled to fundamental constitutional rights as opposed to the fetus prior to birth where there is no establishment of any kind of federal constitutional rights. At the close of this trial, the Supreme Court ruled that no state should be allowed to ban abortions. In my opinion, the most important element of all social movements is the feeling shared by social movement participants that change is achievable. If in your mind you don't feel that your goal is achievable, it would have never been your goal in the first place. Margaret Sanger would not have acted illegally and challenged New York state laws if she did not think that making birth control education for all legal was achievable. The lawsuit brought by Norma McCorvey would not have been brought against the state of Texas if people like Norma did not believe that making state bans on abortion illegal was achievable. Access to contraceptives and abortions became achievable because enough women in the reproductive rights movement thought that it was achievable. Thank you so much for sticking around. Next episode, we will be discussing sex education outside of the home and the women who believed that that goal was achievable.